Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Pinkerton's Ghosts is a horror anthology podcast by Superversive Radio, with no affiliation with any detective agency, person real or imagined, or the dark forces of Terre. It is not intended for children. Is this thing working? Good. Gotta get used to these little cassettes. What's wrong with reel-to-reel anyway? The date is August 27th, 1983. This is Tom Stretcher reporting in. I never get tired of the paranormal Pinkerton life. You know, I used to be just a detective, like any other. But once I saw what was actually going on behind the curtains we call reality, I couldn't go back to life ignoring all the horrors that were just on the other side of a nightmare. That's where control comes in. I get the call to my unregistered number, find out what's happening, to who, and by what. Sure. I could ignore all this, hang up my hat, ignore the horrors, and walk on. Most people do. They don't even know what they saw. But then again, I just have to deal with letting things happen to people that I didn't even try to help. I'm a veteran detective of the Pinkerton's Paranormal Investigators. I help people that are stuck in the dark, with a monster closing in and a scream on their lips. This morning, I got a call. Agent Tom Stretcher, you are to report to the Smithsonian Natural History Museum in Washington, D.C. at once. There, you will investigate the incident in the museum's paleobiology lab. The staff know to let you in. Huh. Sounds like I'll be chasing monsters from beyond time again. I hate that. No politeness, no refinement, all muscle and teeth. Still, someone's got to stop what's going on. Washington, D.C. used to be a swamp long ago. When slaves dug the canals that drained the rotting marsh, and the city is still trying to return to the swamp it came from. Hot summer air is a muggy mix of humidity, pollen, and corruption. Thick enough to drink. The hot, sticky summer days turn cars into ovens that no A.C. can relieve. With searing, burning steering wheels and vinyl seats that transform into searing adhesive tape. Traffic in the city is arranged into a number of circles, laid down with the only possible purpose of frustrating drivers and creating multiple traffic jams. Needless to say, I enjoyed my drive from the airport. By the time I finally arrived at the Smithsonian, I found parking in the nation's capital, evening was already falling. Summer humidity was transforming into towering clouds, visibly boiling with pent-up energy, and internal lightning flashes. The only relief from the summer humidity of D.C. are the evening thunderstorms and torrential rains. When is all that global cooling supposed to take place? I've been waiting on that for years. Smithsonian Museum of Natural History stands like a temple of an ancient civilization dedicated to the ancient world. Columns, marble steps, dome. Check, 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 check. It's right off the Capitol Mall green, with the obelisk of the Washington Monument visible on one end and the Greco-Roman Houses of Congress on the other. Out front, on the green, 
A life-size dinosaur statue stands guard over the museum. It's the kind that looks like a living tank with all the horns that any teenage boys know how to pronounce. Just before I can get under cover, it began to rain, the kind of downpour you usually get in the tropics during the rainy season. Capitol Police Detective Miller meets me out front. DC cops are pretty good and know how to deal with assault, terrorism, and the ghosts of dead politicians. But every once in a while, they come across something unfamiliar. A lot of these guys are ex-days, looking for an easier beat. Detective Miller explained that they've already searched the above-ground premises and haven't found anything suspicious, and closed off the museum perimeter. The whole museum was still closed off until it's been investigated and any problems dealt with. The museum was closed for the night. A security guard named Williams let me in, escorted me to the site. Another night job at a natural history museum. It's always nighttime when they call on someone like me. And sooner or later, they always have to call on someone like me. Just inside, past the doors, everything is dominated by the rotunda. Massive stuffed African bull elephants stood in the center, tusks raised for battle. In the twilight of the few remaining lights, he almost seemed to move. The pose seemed less of a challenge, but more like one of fear. Arched and pillared hallways, shrouded in darkness, led off to different exhibits and subjects. Ancient monster skeletons loomed out of the murk, seemingly alive in the half-lit corridors. The ocean life section reminded me all too clearly about that run-in with psychic brain coral left over from some monster of World War II. My dad always talked about the obscure coral, like they could turn the blood to water and make the dead rise couldn't win them a war. The guard took me to an elevator in the laboratories down below. Williams let me know that Dr. Wallace had been seen going in, but not out of the lab. Also, that no one wanted to go anywhere near the place. There were noises, and many of the cleaners refused to work, calling in, just quitting. Getting anything more out of the guard was a waste of time. He simply didn't know, and no one else was talking. Sure, this place is filled with rational scientist types. You could feel the aura of menace beginning to ooze up from low ground. Smart people learn to pay attention to that kind of thing. It's like an alarm bell for your soul. Also, this wasn't exactly the museum's first run-in with strange or otherworldly. The Smithsonian has a huge collection of exotica from around the world and beyond. There's a lot of smart folks here, who learned harsh lessons when something doesn't add up in the natural order. No one here jokes about mummies anymore, that's for sure. So, when the unnatural enters their natural history museum, call an expert. Or someone expendable. Cheerful elevator music was totally at odds with the situation. An ominous theme would have been more appropriate, and silence would have been preferable. The elevator took me down, then down some more. The job was deep underground the sub-basement below the official basement, of course. There's a reason all the real samples are held underground. Those heavy doors aren't just to keep thieves out, but to keep things in. All the locks on those doors are on the outside, after all. When you get down below, you discover that everything is compartmentalized. Big, heavy doors sectioning everything off from each other. Maybe it wasn't a conscious decision to minimize the danger, but instead, people found that 
Fewer scientists and grad students mysteriously disappeared when you had isolated spaces. Either way, when you get down there in those subterranean mazes, there's row after row of heavily locked doors leading from one place to another, sectioning off one hazard after another. Egyptology, parapsychology, exobiology, and my destination that night, paleobiology. The guard keyed in the combination code and unlocked the heavy doors separating off the laboratories. Flicked on the master switch to turn on the lights which flickered to life, bathing the vast chamber of rows and shelves with a harsh and sterile light. Then he closed the door behind me. That was as far as he would go. I heard the lock click behind me. No going back. The smell of the place was what first hit me. I've been around dead bodies before, but this was something much worse. This stink grabbed me by the throat, slapped me around, and threw me to the floor. Like I'd been gut-punched, bent over, and left my lunch a double onion cheeseburger and fries, on the floor. The air had a heavy, chunky consistency, like curdled milk. I tried to wrap my handkerchief over my mouth to lessen the stink. Big mistake. Not only did it make me look like a nighttime robber of the country's most prestigious collection of rarities, but it trapped the vomit breath up against my nose. I discarded that then and tried to focus my swimming vision through the chowder-like atmosphere of the lab. It was full of bones. Big ones, little ones, weird ones, familiar ones, and everything in between. It was a lot of bones, maybe all of them. If I'd imagined that every possible bone or fossil in the world had been collected, sorted, neatly organized, and stored, it might look like this huge room. Shells with roll-out trays, Roll-out boxes, stacked crates, and examination tables were everywhere in the echoing room, illuminated by banks of humming fluorescent light. Everything had bones on or in it, some tucked away in shelves and boxes, others exposed to that bleach-pale light on top of the tables. I have the vaguest idea what I was looking for. I don't know one bone or fossil from another, or even what the difference is too well. I know this, though. There's no place for that kind of stink in a neatly and obsessively ordered lab like this one. Over on one of the tables was a neatly written notebook, already open. I flipped through it and photographed the pages. Once I've developed the film, I'll send the photos in the mail to the usual place. Here's the gist of what the notebook said. Bones from the fossil had been a giant confusing jumble when unearthed. The eggheads thought they had seen this before and assumed it was just a collection of bones from different animals that all died together. First problem with that little theory was that none of the bones matched any known species. Not one. The second problem was the bones all seemed to fit together in some horrible parody of a skeleton. Hecka something. Heconshire. Hecatonkri. Some kind of mythical Greek titan with a hundred arms or so it said. Pictures would have been nice. Still, it didn't seem like a multi-armed giant could actually hide in a place like this. Unless, of course, it was made of bones. I was surrounded by bones. In this room, and the next, and probably the one after that. For all I knew, the thing was waiting on a sample tray right next to me. I checked out behind me and all around the room. There was nothing there. 
Everything was neat and orderly, so anything strange should stick out. Like, the paper on the report was unfinished, as if the writer had stopped abruptly partway for some reason. Did he get to leave? Was he abducted? There's no real signs of a struggle. Nothing is knocked over or scattered around. There's no sign of any blood anywhere. There was, however, a faint set of scuff marks on the white tile floor. It looked like the kind you get from a rubber-soled shoe scraping along a hard floor. It formed a line that curved around the table, down the long room, and through the next set of swinging doors. Like, maybe he'd been dragged along the floor by someone. Or something. I drew my firearm. I know a lot of agents are going for the 9mm pistols because they're lighter and can hold more rounds. Still... I prefer the stopping power of a forty-five caliber hollow point, and you never know what you will run into in this job. Besides, the M1911A1 is still the best pistol ever made. I made my way closer to the doors. There were a broad, double-door setup, with metal plates on the bottom so you could push one of the rolling tables through them. Small windows were frosted glass that gave no hint of what lay beyond. A trail of scuff marks led right up to them and under. There's something that looked like a greasy smear on one of the shiny metal plates. The nauseating, cloying stink was stronger, assuming a thick, primordial reek that went straight to the back of the primitive part of the mine that wanted to run away through the darkness. I held my breath, listening. There was no sound other than the buzzing of the fluorescent lights. I held my pistol in two hands and pushed my way into the next room with my shoulder. There it was. The room beyond was a mess. Tables had been overturned, boxes had been spilled on the floor, and rolling cabinets were scattered around. Something about the way everything was moved around caught my attention. It didn't seem totally random. Instead of the furniture being scattered around the room, pushed to the sides, it had been gathered to a location like a pile, or a nest. The smell of the room intensified as I crept up closer to the pile. I looked in over the sights of my pistol to see what lay within. It was empty. There was a space in the middle of the rolling cabinets and turned over tables. On the floor glistened more of the oily film that had been on the doors leading into this room. The faint slime formed a trail leading out of the circle of the furniture. That trail didn't lead into the next room, but instead curved around the way it had come behind me. It might have started as a collection of bones jumbled together almost randomly. It had become something more. Cattle bones, canine skull bones, human skeletons fused together in a nightmarish jigsaw combination that should never have fit together. It somehow had. Every bone had been subtly twisted and warped with just enough to work together. Tendons and veins and other stringy grayish tissues held the whole abomination together contracted in a parody of muscle movement to make the abomination crawl towards me. Transparent slick of greasy oil that I noticed earlier covered the travesty of life in place of skin. It made no sound at all. I also found the missing researcher, or what was left of him. His body was twisted unnaturally in a way that should have broken every bone in his body had they not all been bent 
twisted to fit into the macabre nightmare puzzle. His various organs were separated throughout the conglomeration, each gray and pulsing feebly. Worst of all, his face remained, stretched cruelly atop the thing, with one remaining eye, gray and sightless. Naturally, I opened fire. The thunder of the forty-five roaring broke through the sepulchre quiet and echoed off the walls. I don't panic when I find monsters. I face zombies, vampires, regenerating shape-changers, and a wendigo. I know better than to just randomly blast away. Instead, I aimed for the various joints that were most critical for holding the thing together. It kind of collapsed into a writhing pile on the floor, still trying to crawl towards me, lubricated by a trail of slime like a monster snail. The bones, no longer in unison, rolled over one another, fighting, merging, piercing through tissue, trying to get to me as much as stand up once more. It looked like it had emerged from one of the large rolling cabinets near the door. The thing knows how to conceal itself. Set up traps, used doors, and who knew what else? I figured that this was the Hecantry, in some kind of libel form, not fully formed. Not yet. If it escaped and rampaged, consuming more bodies to add to its bones and flesh, there is no telling how powerful or intelligent it might become. I couldn't let that happen. Also, I couldn't escape either, since it was blocking the way I had come with its flailing appendages. I ran into the next room, marked Ostology Prep Lab, expecting more bones. Instead, I found boxes on top of boxes everywhere. There's a stink in the room that was at least familiar, just the decay of flesh, almost a relief. Unfortunately, it was also a dead end. I got behind a large table covered with boxes for cover and exchanged magazines on my pistol. Last one. I had to make it count. If I'd done any real damage to it, then it should take it several minutes to crawl across the floor and come into that room. It entered into that room in less than a minute, fully recovered. Severed tendons, shattered joints, simply reformed in new configurations, and it moved with the undulating movement of a centipede, somehow coordinating its various limbs and appendages. I took my time firing into the thing, breaking limbs, shattering joints, and severing tendons until the receiver clicked back, empty, out of bullets, and out of time. The Hecantry sprawled on the floor, twisting, but the thread wasn't over. Tissues and tendons slithered and flowed across bones that knit back together into new forms. It was coming back together fast. I holstered my pistol and rolled the heavy rolling table up against it, pinning it to the wall, slowly at first, and then with increasing pressure I could feel the thing push back. It grew to as strong as I was, and then stronger forcing the table back, forcing me back to the wall as well. Without any other idea, I grabbed one of the boxes on the table and threw it at the thing. The box burst open and spilled its contents on the hideous obscenity. I was expecting more bones, acid bottles, or something else. Instead, it was a windowless terrarium full of beetles. A swarm of little black beetles burst all over the box and swarmed over the country. I was worried I'd just fed the thing, but it started swatting the insects, so at least I had something to distract it with. I grabbed another box off the table and started chucking boxes at it as fast as I could. Soon, the twitching form of the thing was entirely covered in a mound of scuttling black beetles. 
twitched and writhed under the scuttling horde, its motions growing more frantic and erratic, as if desperate. The whole time I tried to push my back through the wall behind me, not daring to get any closer to the obscene battle between the scavenger swarm and the utterly unnatural. It seemed to take hours, but eventually the twitching horror subsided and finally stopped moving. I gathered my breath and ran, leaping clear of the horror on the floor, also skidding on the now-slick floor beyond, banging myself up something fierce. Still, I only noticed the pain until I managed to completely clear the laboratory and access the intercom system. It took two hours and 38 minutes to convince the guards to unlock the doors and get me out of that chamber of horrors. My sturdy timepiece wasn't so damaged and everything that had happened, a gift from a grateful client, and a necessity in this line of work. When the guards came, all that remained was a twisted pile of bones and a spreading horde of scavenger beetles. Instead of the gratitude you'd expect, there were complaints about the mess and the damage to the other specimens. Well, from the scientists anyways. You'd think people could just say thank you, but no. The guards were too scared of the bureaucrats and the monster to say anything. I've attached the expense report and complaints for legal and accounting to follow up on. I'm sure we'll pay them all the due they deserve. As for the head country, I suggested they grind the bones to powder, then burn it in an incinerator, and then scatter it at sea. After everything that happened, I expect they won't take the danger lightly anymore. At least I hope so. Things like that aren't just dangerous or aggressive. They're evil. There is a kind of evil out there beyond the experience of most. A patient, hating evil waiting with cold eyes for the chance to cause death and destruction. The Hecantry was one of those evils. I could feel it. The malice, the hatred for life, was emanating from it like a malignant radiation. It didn't just want me dead. It hated that I was even alive, and it wanted to kill us all. Everyone has legends of twisted giants that are an enemy of mankind. I expect our ancestors were warning us. If so, then that means there's more of these things out there, waiting with inhuman patience and implacable hatred. This one was already almost dead. What happens if a nearly whole one is unearthed? Or more than one? I'll pray for us all. In the meantime, my shoes and coat are ruined. I'll attach the expense report as well as my firearms discharge report. Now, I'm going to go get a drink. I think I know where the security guards go, and they'll take care of me. This is Tom Stretcher, signing off. Pinkerton's Ghosts is a podcast distributed by Superversive Radio, licensed under an attribution non-commercial share-alike international license. This episode was written and performed by David Howquist, Ben Wheeler edits, directs, produces, and herds cats. Ken Dickison performs our audio editing. Visit us on Facebook, read articles on SuperversiveSF.com, and wherever podcasts are distributed, you'll find us. Check out our unauthorized podcast as well. Contact us through Twitter at Pinkerton's Ghosts, no apostrophe. Send noble messenger possums with letters on their backs or email us at pinkertonsghosts 
at gmail.com. Thank you for listening.